Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking rightly about yourself in comparison to God and his perfect righteousness. The remedy for our preoccupation with self is a greater and growing focus and preoccupation with Jesus and his perfection, not our do-to-be list of accomplishments, not focusing on our failures, not working hard to see others as more and ourselves as less, and not just trying hard to be a good person or a good Christian. No, it's rightly seeing God for who he is in connection to ourselves. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. Okay, here we go. Good to be back together. So grateful to be here with you. This is awesome. Hope you're having a good week. I am. Um, you probably remember I'm kind of on vacation, but I pre-recorded all this. But uh, yeah, so I'm having a great week. <laughs> anyway, I hope you are as well. I hope things are going swimmingly and you're experiencing grace, right? Hey, I want to read a review that came in for the podcast. This one is um, from A.G. Keen, and I think I know who this is, Aaron. This must be you, huh? It says, the Everyday Disciple podcast is a practical way to grow, learn, and be challenged and receive comfort in the journey of living the life of faith as Jesus intended, becoming disciples who make disciples because of the gospel. Wow, could have wrote that myself. It says, Caesar does a great job at keeping it practical and real. The challenges he gives are never insurmountable, but they also don't allow you to just be comfortable with the status quo in your life. So that's really nice. Thanks, brother. That's, like I said, almost like I wrote it myself. I love it when we get reviews and some stars. Thanks for those five stars as well, Aaron. And uh, I want to invite you to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Please do. And that way it'll just, boom, drop right into your device for you every Monday morning. You won't miss any episodes. And if you could also take the whole 30 seconds to leave us a review of the show, that'd be so great. Some stars, things like that. I just got noticed that now Amazon Music which is growing and growing and growing. Amazon now has podcasts, and they sent me a notice saying, hey, the Everyday Disciple podcast, boom, on Amazon now. So there's a little announcement as well, all right? So if you're not sure, like if you've been listening to the to the Everyday Disciple podcast um, on our website, which is fine, and you can keep doing that, but you'd like to maybe get an app on your phone or something that's a little more podcast uh, user-friendly, uh, there's all kinds of things out there that you can listen to these days. You can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash subscribe, and you'll see a whole bunch of different players you can go to and check it out, find one you like, and then subscribe there. How about that? All right. So today, as promised, we're going to talk about fighting our preoccupation with self. And I know right away that sounds a little heavy, um, but it's really pretty liberating. Okay, I think, I think, yeah, I think you're going to dig this. I put a lot of time into thinking through this. I really have. And, um, but here's something that I've become increasingly aware of in my own life. Uh, see, see if you can relate. From my perspective, um, everything's about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything is about me and then me and then a little bit more of me. My life is lived through the lens of my experience completely as I perceive it. And I wonder if it could even really be any other way. 
right? Like we perceive our life through the lens of our experience. You see, how I feel pretty much in every moment is connected to how I believe things are going relative to my sense of self. I've said this before. Um, I've noticed that my life and my day feels like it's going perfectly when everything's going the way I want it to, and no one's pushing up against my ideas or my false sense of security or identity or, you know what I mean, right? And, and we've talked about this, um, that everything revolves around us and our perceived identity, that it's out of our identity and perception of self that our motives and our actions flow. That's why in discipleship, and we say, which is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life, so much of that shift starts with, and probably continues lifelong journey of, of moving to a true understanding and belief of ourself rightly, and our true identity, right? So our experience is shaped pretty much exclusively by our thoughts of how we relate to things and how everything and everyone relates to the person who we believe ourselves to be. Don't miss that. I'm going to say that again, just because it's so important that our, our experience is pretty much shaped by our thoughts and how we relate to things and how everything and everyone else relates to the person who we believe ourselves to be. And, and the truth is, this is exactly the cause of our stress and our unhappiness and any relational strife that we're experiencing. It's me, 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 <laughs> right? Okay, so enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> See how it goes? Just keeps going. It's endless. Oh! Okay, hey, C.S. Lewis said once, so true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Maybe you've heard that, right? The truth is, we can spend a lot of time thinking less of ourselves, like, oh, I just suck. Oh, it's, I'm so bad. I'm so not worthy, right? But we still end up thinking a lot about ourselves. That doesn't fix anything. All of this is connected to the issue of pride, ultimately. So I thought right here at the beginning of this discussion, let's talk about pride for a minute or two, and, and I think we might find that we have some false understanding connected to pride in God's response to it. Now, a very common verse that's often quoted from Scripture in connection to pride and humility is James 4, 6, right? It says, but he gives more grace, that is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor, or some translations say grace, to the humble. Let me read that whole thing again. God, oppo- God opposes the proud, but he shows favor or grace to the humble. Now, here's what's interesting. The phrase used here as the proud, in other words, God opposes the proud, is actually, in the original language in the Greek, an adjective. It's not a noun or a pronoun. So translated the way that a lot of translations have done it, it makes God out to be the enemy and opponent of the proud person which would mean he's the enemy of everyone, (laughs) right? That's not good news. Um, And I've heard probably a lifetime of preaching about this. In fact, recently, even researching this, I heard someone uh, on a very popular, known website and all this saying, hey, your pride makes you the enemy of God, and God's your, like, cosmic enemy, and he has to oppose you. And I'm like, whoa. But see, that's not actually, that's not an accurate translation. Like I said, that's an adjective, not a noun or pronoun. Now, you know, so it's not you that God's opposing. What God is opposing is the prideful attitude, the adjective, not the person. Okay, stick with me. Hold on. Now, let me get get back up in the verse. God opposes the proud. 
The word in Greek that's translated here as opposes, so it's like, oh, you know, like I'm taking up a stick against you, I'm taking up arms against you, comes from two root words in the Greek, and it carries with it these two interconnected meanings. Okay, so oppose, right? You know, you know, you know how we what we think that means, like, oh, I'm against you, I'm set against you now. Here's what it means, really. It means instead of or in place of something. What? And it's then it's connected to the second idea and root of to place in a certain order or to arrange, to assign a place. Hmm. So more accurately understood, and this would be a whole lot better news for us, James is telling us that God puts himself in the place of or next to our attitudes about self and others, and he places them in a certain order, in a corrected place or order. In other words, God places his perfect righteousness and perfect record alongside ours, and that's pretty humbling, isn't it? it? You see how different that is than God opposes the proud, so now he's your eternal cosmic enemy. No, what he's doing is he's setting the record straight, and that humbles us. That humbles us. Now, let's not move on until we take a look at the rest of this verse, but he shows favor, or some translations, I think rightly so, say grace, that's unmerited favor, to the humble. Again, that word there translated as, you know, he shows favor to the humble, like we hear it as the humble person, um, is an adjective. It's not a pronoun. So it's not talking about the person, which more accurately then means that he's showing grace to those who've been humbled by his placing of his perfect record of righteousness next to their due-to-be list of accomplishments. Wow, that is big. See, right away that starts to rewire my own heart as I think to self and self-focus in all this. So what does he do? He shows unmerited favor. He gives grace to those people. (laughs) And by the way, that would be you and me and everyone you know. And that is really good news. I need that. I need that. See, God is not placing every human who thinks about self and is prideful as his enemy. Like, I want to destroy you. (laughs) No, he's saying, I oppose that pride, and here's how I do it. I show you my perfect record. I rightly reorder things in front of you, and that will humble you. And and then that humility, that's favor. That's grace, actually. That's actually grace. And see, now, other commonly quoted verses dealing with pride and humility that I find in the Bible make a lot more sense including like Matthew 23, 12, where Jesus is talking, and I know you've heard this, he says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, let's think of that, what Jesus is saying here in light of what we just learned from James. Why does it exalt us when we've been placed back into a correct order or understanding of our self-focused accomplishments compared to God's perfection? Hmm? How does that exalt us? Here's why. Because it helps us get back to a right understanding of the original and intended relationship with God. See, instead of us thinking we can live as our own God, little g God, and manage good and evil on our own, and all the while it's killing us in our relationships, this reordering of us compared to God lifts us up closer to the life of dependence on God Dependence for his wisdom and strength and abilities and our true identity. See, that exalts us. It lifts us up back to the the original thing, which, what? Glorifies God, because it shows what he's like. And 
gives us life the way it was always intended to be. That sounds exalted. That sounds like really good news again. That sounds amazing. A life lived close to God and under his protection. A life that's increasingly lived more and more like Jesus, who lived a perfect life, like heaven come to earth. I want that. <laughs> that sounds like grace to me. And you know, when I think I can live my life in the place of God, making all of my decisions of you know, good and evil, right and wrong for myself, and then I blame others for not saluting or bowing down or feeling stoked about it, I, and I live that way, and then God in his grace and kindness reveals his glory, his righteousness up against my failed attempts, it humbles me, and then he shows me his grace, his favor. Wow. <laughs> wow. See, see, we don't necessarily think of it this way, do we? We make it a real dark and icky, weird thing, and it makes us want to hide from God. We know we're prideful. We know we're self-focused. Who's not? So then, you see, this is very, very different. So how could we possibly have gotten to this understanding of these verses so wrong? How, how have we made like God our enemy and he sees us as his enemy, when that's not even what that's really saying. In fact, that those passages about pride are really a picture of the gospel. How could we possibly have gotten this so wrong? And you might be wondering that right now, right? Well, I think that's because often we start from a small gospel. We start from a place we don't even understand the gospel in its fullness, in its bigness, in its glory, and we have spent years and years not preaching the full story, the full story of God in the full gospel. See, so often, our gospel presentations, our good news presentations to people start in Genesis 3 at the fall. All have fallen short of God's glory, right? And they basically are, you know, deserving of death. That's where we start. <laughs> That's right. And then we end our, our good news presentations and teaching of scripture, usually in Revelation 20, which is what? Judgment. That's where judgment occurs. See? So then basically, our, quote, good news and our lens that we teach all of Scripture through starts in Genesis 3 at the fall, ends at Revelation 20 at the judgment of everything, right? And so our good news sounds like this. You suck, and you're going to pay for it. But there's more to the story. What about Genesis 1 and 2, where our good, right, and perfect and holy God creates all things in their beauty and splendor, and he creates humans in his own image to be like him and be close to him and live eternally under his care and protection, right? And then, sure, in Genesis 3, we fall. We think we can create an identity apart from self and manage good and evil, right from wrong, create our own record of righteousness. That's what pride is, right? But guess what? After Revelation 20, there's also Revelation 21 and 22. There's more to the story. That's where God himself is coming back one day, here to earth, to restore and renew all people, places, and things back to the way he originally created them to be. And we'll live forever with him in perfection and in full knowledge and wisdom. See, that's a much bigger, beautiful story. But when we truncate the story down to Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, you suck and you're going to pay for it, then it's no wonder that we take so many of these verses and they've been mistranslated and then we preach the heck out of them and they're all going almost exactly the opposite, which then doesn't help us out of our pride or our self-focus. So what is the remedy for our preoccupation with self? 
Now, again, I, I want to go back to that quote for a second from C.S. Lewis. He said, true humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And, you know, as I've thought about this, I think a more accurate stating of that truth that he's getting at here is humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking rightly about yourself in comparison to God and his perfect righteousness. The remedy for our preoccupation with self is a greater and growing focus and preoccupation with Jesus and his perfection, not our do-to-be list of accomplishments, not focusing on our failures, not working hard to see others as more and ourselves as less, and not just trying hard to be a good person or a good Christian. No, it's rightly seeing God for who he is in connection to ourselves. We are all so focused on self throughout the day and our lives because we still believe that we can earn our righteousness or prove our worth by the things that we do. And and then we look at the accomplishments of others and we look down our noses at them. In our estimation, they've not done as much as us or they've not worked as hard. By the way, that's pride, right? That's (laughs) There it is again. There is such a deep-seated desire for all of us to self-atone that we end up completely focused on what we've done or what we've failed at and what we need to work harder at. But see, either way, self is the focus. Either way, self is the focus. The gospel's answer to our fallen self-obsession is a great work of grace in Christ. Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. So there is no more need to self-atone and keep a losing scorecard on your life and everyone else's. I hope you believe that. I really do. That'll set you free. This is at the root of what it means that the kingdom of God has come and we get to live in it, that salvation is now ours as we're working this out daily, right? We're starting to believe this. We're moving from unbelief to belief. I hope you believe that. It is finished. Tim Keller once wrote, it's the normal state of the human heart to try to build its identity around something besides God. Spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find a purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. And Soren Kierkegaard says that the normal human ego is built on something besides God. It searches for something that will give it a sense of worth, a sense of specialness, and a sense of purpose. And, and, and it builds itself on that and builds its whole life on that. And of course, as we are often reminded, if you try to put anything in the middle of the place that was originally made for God, it's going to be too small. It's not going to fit. And that's what we do with our own lives. Jesus' finished work on our behalf creates a renewed obsession with God in his glory. That's worship. That's true worship. Remember earlier when we were looking at that passage in James, and I said, James is telling us that how God responds to our pride, our self-focus on our accomplishments or failures is to put himself in the place of or next to our attitudes about self and others, and then places them in a certain corrected place of order. In other words, God places his perfect righteousness and perfect record alongside ours, and that frees us. That sets the record straight, so to speak, in our hearts. And you know what? What what does that lead to? That leads to us being able to live authentically. We no longer need to pretend. 
We don't have to try to prop up our image. Our, our work hard to get others to believe some concocted version of ourselves that we're putting out there, we don't have to do that anymore. We can take the masks off and be real with people. We can be our true, authentic selves that we were created to be. And you know what else? When we start to live that way, we can be honest and let our needs be known instead of acting like we're our own you know, source of everything and nothing really bothers us, everything rolls off. We can you know, let our needs be known. Our fears can be spoken. And we can let our redemption show. God's at work here. We can let people see that. The pressure's off. <laughs> and, and that, my brothers and sisters, is really, really good news. I, and, I, and I hope you'll believe that. I, and, and I think this is at the root of our preoccupation with self and, and the way out of it. I, I know just in prepping this and just talking with you today, it, it, I feel like it's like balm to my heart. I feel freer. I feel a little, yeah, right? Okay. Well, as always, I want to leave you with the big three takeaways from today's topic. Like I'll summarize this down into three main points. So if nothing else, you don't miss these. Okay. And by the way, you can always get a printable PDF of each week's big three as a free download by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three. Okay. So here's the big three for this week. First, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking rightly about yourself, especially compared to God and his perfect righteousness. The remedy for our preoccupation with self is a greater and growing focus and preoccupation with Jesus and his perfection, a focus on his completed work on our behalf. It is finished. Remember that. Don't miss that. Okay, second, God knows you and your full list of accomplishments, failures, sins, and unbelief. And he wants to favor you. He's not opposed to you. He desires that you would allow him to reorder and realign your understanding of him and your relationship. He wants to pour his love and grace and goodness so deep into your heart and life that you'll grow to love him and trust him in every area of everything in your life. And third, would you allow God to set the record straight concerning your unrighteousness and his perfection? And then... Live authentically. Live in freedom. Let the process of your ongoing redemption show to others as like a badge of honor and glory to God. And go live your life in light of Jesus' perfect record and perfect love for you. And please allow others in your life to step off the scale, off the treadmill, and live in freedom too. That's where this all leads. All right, remember, you can get a free download of this Big 3 in PDF form by going to everydaydisciple.com forward slash Big 3. This has been a great conversation, a great talk. I, I hope you're blessed by it. Like I said, just even in the sharing of this and in the thinking through and praying through and researching of this, I, I feel like I've been oh, set free in some ways. I hope it sticks. <laughs> uh, Spirit of God, please make that a reality. All right. Well, that's it for now. I hope you have an amazing week, whatever you're up to, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day.